This is the Perfect Puppy Podcast with Miriam Pollard, walking you through all the steps you need to train the perfect puppy for your lifestyle. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Perfect Puppy Podcast. In this week's episode, I want to talk to you about the five mistakes you're probably making with your puppy's recall. Now, we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. My friends who are trainers have made mistakes. And, you know, there are 7 billion people and couple of, you know, couple, I say, like 30 million dogs, meaning good few million dog owners, they've all made mistakes too. The point about making mistakes is learning from them. So I'm here to point out the mistakes you're making so you can change and not make them again. So the first mistake that you're most likely making and majority of people make this mistake is you're actually focusing on training a recall. Now, you might think this is strange, but those who go all in trying to create this recall and just doing the muscle memory are the ones that typically fail. You see, a recall is just a byproduct of a very, very strong relationship. And I always say, a recall is only needed if your puppy has a desire to run away and a recall is only successful because you're better than the environment. That is all down to a solid relationship. That's fine, you know, practicing recalls and teaching your puppy to come back to you and the muscle memory of things. But in reality, and when I used to do this, by practicing a recall, you're forcing your puppy to interact with everything. So then you get opportunities to practice the recall. So in a crazy way, by having really strong engagement and having a really strong relationship, you're not forcing your puppy to interact with everything. You're just the the interactions. So then when you call them and you might do a couple of exercises to practice coming back and the motions of it and everything else once you've done that a couple of times the reason why a regal is a proper strong successful regal is because your puppy has such a big desire to interact with you now obviously you know let dog be a dog and explore the world and that's totally fine you know sniff, smells, peeing, whatever, that's absolutely fine. But for a dog to have a very successful recall, they do really need that desire to want to come back. Otherwise, if you're just training a recall and it's like, okay, I put my dog in a sit, I run across the field, I call them, and then I give them something, they're doing it because of a reward. They're like, okay, I'll come because I'm going to get something and then I'm going to go off again so it creates this very strong ping pong effect so the tactics that I use is I want the dog to choose to engage with me then I'll reward that and then I'll keep them there I'll keep them around me by playing with them having fun with them and creating really high reward history so then in a session majority of my clients suddenly have this dog that is just velcro to them And then they've got to push them to go out. And I'm like, that is exactly what I want because I want a dog that wants to stay around me. So I don't actually need a recall because if the dog's just going to follow me, then a recall's not needed. The reason why we have a recall is for safety purposes. But if the dog just has no desire to go anywhere, then 
you won't need it. As I'm talking right now, I've got my little Velcro dog (laughs) right at me wanting to interact with me. And that is because, again, I've created such a high reward history of being around me for interacting me. Like right now, she's literally just coming and putting her head in my hand just for me to scratch her. And it's like, I just, I want to interact with you. And that is because of a very high reward history. I haven't called her. I'm just the best thing for her. And that's because I haven't focused on a recall. When I used to focus on a recall, I wasn't successful. When I stopped thinking of a recall as a recall and started thinking of it like a relationship, it was a game changer. And it made so much sense because engagement is key to everything. Now, mistake number two, and this kind of comes off of mistake one, and is you're socializing your puppy incorrectly majority of dogs who have terrible recall also aren't socialized and I've got a podcast episode all about correct socialization so I will put it in the show notes but if we go back to how puppies learn and dogs learn they learn by association so by letting them run over to every single person and letting them be friendly and I'm saying that while um using my fingers for quotation marks, you're just telling them that it's the best thing to just find everything great away from you. So keep running, like the further you go away, the more fun you have. That's the opposite of a recall. I mean, the whole point of a recall is to get them back. So by forcing them further away, the more of a recall you need. Following on what I've just said, a recall is only needed if your puppy has a desire to run away, has a desire to interact with everything. Remove that desire and make you the only desirable thing in their life and suddenly you don't have an issue. But it does come down and unsuccessful recalls are usually because puppies are socialized incorrectly because everyone's aim is friendliness and the friendlier dogs are actually the most dangerous dogs i find and guaranteed the friendliest dogs are one the least friendliest dogs and usually very unsocialized but also they are a liability they are dangerous the friendly dogs are the ones jumping up on people who don't want to be jumped on that by law is a dangerous, out-of-control dog, especially if you can't control it. And it's really hard to because you were socialising them incorrectly. Quality over quantity. I'm sorry, but it's impossible for you to compete with 500 dogs and people. Now, mistake number three, and this is, again, this is going to be like a really weird one, but I thought I'd say it. Is you're playing fetch too much. Now... Let me explain because it is very strange and it's not that I don't play fetch, but it goes down to the whole enjoyment away from you. When you play a constant round of fetch to tie your dog out and doing absolutely nothing else, like then you're not even asking for a sit, your puppy is engaging with the toy, not you. You're you're just the thrower. And a thrower is very easily replaceable. Every dog who ends up being ball obsessed, very common in collies, but a lot of the ball obsessed dogs, and I say collies, it's also spaniels, I find, um, or even lambs. I mean, <laughs> literally any dog who has a drive for a ball. Anyone can throw the toy and they'll fetch it. 
you're replaceable. You're just simply the person with the arm and you're chucking the ball around. And again, it, I'm going to go back to how Tiggy used to be. A massive breakthrough was when someone tried to throw a ball and she didn't go for it and just looked at me like, I don't want that toy, I want your toy and I want to interact with you. So I teach her to be pushy, jumpy. All the behaviours that you usually hate in day-to-day life, I want that. So when we play frisbee, for example, we're doing loads and loads of training, then she gets a reward. Yes, she has to go away from me to catch it, and it's also tiring her out, usually when I'm fully exercising her and doing nothing else. She'll come back, and she'll be, like, shoving it in my hand, like, come on, let's interact, because... When we play frisbee, we also play tug. We use a durophone frisbee and it's so easy for her to grip and then have a good game of tug instead of the plastic ones. And we have a great time. And she likes interacting with me more than actually going for the frisbee. I mean, the reason why she goes for the frisbee is to have a game of fetch, um, game of tug. And then having the whole, you know, interactions and engagement and training and whatnot. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, I spoke about it in a previous episode about like the science behind engagement and what actually scientific engagement means. And if we go back to classical conditioning, it basically means that like you become, not become the toy, but the link between you and the toy blurs and you then become self-rewarding regardless if you have a toy or not. It does start with the toy and the motivation for the toy, the food, the affection, whatever it may be it all comes through you you're the bridge to everything so yes in the beginning it's all like I want the toy I want the toy but eventually it's like oh my god okay you have the toy you have this you have that I just want to interact with you and it you don't turn into the thrower anymore you turn into the engager just the just the owner, you know, just a very strong, loving owner for the dog. And they realize that everything good comes from you. Now, don't get me wrong, I do play fetch, but I make sure that it's productive, that I'm using tug, I'm doing impulse control, I'm asking for heel work, and then the toy is her reward for it, for working with me. And then I'm using her motivation and then she comes back and she's like, okay, I really want to interact with you because the lines are blurred now and I'm just very self-rewarding for her. But we're using the game of fetch to be, just be more productive. I'm not just aiming for exercise, I'm aiming for mental stimulation, interactions, work with me, work with me, do something for this toy. Whereas, so many people, they're just like, the dog's just staring at the ball. And when the owner doesn't give them the ball, they'll go to someone else. So, like, oh, will you give me it? Oh, no. Okay, I'll pick it up and then I'll go to someone else. The owner's replaceable. Now, don't get me wrong. There are like a lot of dogs do generally like love their owners. But guaranteed, I've seen too many dogs who love their ball and then the toy removes and they're like, okay, off I go. I'm going to go and do my own thing. So they're really with the owner because they like the toy. They're engaging with the toy. Stop making it all about engagement with the toy and make you the bridge between that toy. And also just stop throwing it so far that the dog's just finding everything fun, again, away from you. Because, you know, they once they got the toy, that's the reward until you blur the lines. With Tiggy, cool, she got the toy, but then she comes back and then it's almost like the tug game is her 
reward. She just has to go and get it. She has to work for it. She has to do heal, then she has to go and get it, and then she has to jump, catch it. Then she comes out, and then she gets the tug game as a reward. So it's just making sure that your fetch game is a little bit more productive than a normal fetch game, basically. But yeah, I still play fetch, and I'm not saying don't play fetch, just don't do it day in, day out, and being very unproductive with it. Now, mistake number four is too much freedom. Now, I will be doing an entire episode about this, hopefully, but there are four types of walks. You've got the Disney walk, the exercise, training, and socialization. I won't go into them in depth. Like I said, I'll do them in another podcast episode. Basically, Disney is just a fun-free walk, also called an enrichment walk or a decompression walk, but it's just like they're interacting with the environment. I usually do this in a very quiet field or forest and I just don't mind. I don't focus on any kind of engagement. If she chooses to, I'll reward it. But otherwise, I just want her sniffing and doing doggy things. Um, Number two is exercise, giving your dog a good run, letting them stretch their legs, usually done with fetch or... I'll usually go to like a very quiet field and just let her run. If she wants to run, she can. If she wants to do whatever. Disney and exercise can be blurred. I usually do exercise in the summer, like a lot of exercise, because I will get up at like 5, 6 a.m., run her for an hour and a half, and then she won't get a walk until like 10 o'clock at night because of how hot it is. And I want her just to be able to comfortable so she's got no excess energy then you've got a socialization walk oh leading back on to the exercise this is very common with puppies because of their joints so be careful and use your common sense that if your puppy's like eight weeks old don't run them for an hour and a half Tiggy's two now so i'll run her for like 30 minutes sometimes a little bit longer sometimes a bit less but yeah just keep that in mind then socialization is you go out of your way to put them in environments to socialize them expose them to different things this is the main type of quote-unquote walk that I would do with a puppy I'm not aiming for miles I'm not aiming for being tired I just want them to be exposed to loads of different environments and I'll go outside schools and this that and the other and then training so you're working towards your goals you're working on loose lead walking tricks scent work whatever it is but there's a bit more of a purpose for the walk where you're aiming on a specific thing so for example, I'll do like a gun dog training walk. It's not that it's really a walk, I'm just doing gun dog training. Um, but yeah, I'll go out of my way and train her. Now, majority of owners, and that's totally fine, mostly do Disney and exercise because they think the dog needs to be have good rum to settle, which isn't the case because all my clients and Tiggy and any other dog that comes in to like interact with me or whatever like friends whatever we rarely go on like a great big long mile walk if we do it's usually because it's very quiet typically though I really don't get much further than a couple of meters really I mean I tell my clients like look how far we've come and they're like oh yeah we've only come a few feet it's the most tired my puppy's been I'm like exactly (laughs) so you don't need to exercise your puppy I mean seriously puppies don't need exercise they just need correct training and exposure and mental stimulation and they are absolutely fine obviously depending on genetics but seriously overall 
the average pet dog does not need excessive exercise and then a lot of owners do a lot of Disney so they're just like the dog's just sniffing do its own thing running around dogs running around people um a lot of owners are on their phone which is like fine but control your dog so they do way too much whereas they don't go out of the way to do a training walk they don't go out of the way to do a socialization walk um it's all just kind of like I want my dog tired and not really interacting with the dog and that's fine like don't get me wrong I am generalizing because this is what I see most of the time and it was so nice I was driving to a client yesterday and to the right of me there was a really good field I was like oh amazing I saw two people interacting with their dogs there's one golden retriever on a long line playing frisbee and doing the kind of stuff that I do with Tiggy which was just I couldn't get my eyes off them there was like a red light and I was like great my chance to like just watch them interact and I was so happy because I rarely see it now I might be in a really bad area (laughs) or all my clients just don't go to parks anymore because we hate them but um it was just so nice to see and then just drove up around the corner and I saw someone else just running around with their puppy and not pushing their dogs to interact with everyone else and just being happy to interact and have fun with their dog. And I was just like, these are the type of people that I want to see more of. I want people to enjoy and interact with their puppy more because we don't get, you know, they don't last forever. And soon enough, you're going to regret it you you know and so it's like use this prime time when they're young when they're fun and whatever and just interact with them utilize this time to have fun because like I said it really doesn't last long so yeah most are a Disney and exercise where all the interactions and the fun is away from you now I'm not going to go into like how many times that you should do it on um whatnot but just keep in mind that, okay, there's the majority of four. Now, obviously, they can blend together. If you're doing, like, every single day, you're just doing a Disney, then, well, throw a bit of socialization in. Throw a little bit of training in, you know? Like I said, I will do a Disney walk that's also training. I'll do an exercise walk that's also Disney. But that has come with experience and being able to change things but most of all I am pretty consistent like I'll go out of my way and then work one thing and then come home but yeah it really varies I mean sometimes if I do like three days of gun dog training or whatnot then Tiggy won't even get a walk the next day so seriously just whatever works for you and your dog do do it but keep in mind that a dog isn't Every, you know fulfilled completely just by Disney and exercise they're fulfilled by interacting with you hand feeding engaging training mental stimulation they need a, a balance of a lot of different types of walks and interactions and that kind of stuff so mistake number five is you're making it way too hard almost every new puppy owner rushes I was talking to clients whose dogs are like 10 months and plus and every single one are like oh yeah we've made that mistake I was like oh yeah a good example is people have a 
tiny little eight-week-old puppy, and they go, wow, okay, my puppy's picking up, sit very quickly, pour really quickly. So then they just slap labels on it straight away. And I said, and they were like, oh my God, we've done that. I'm like, yeah, everyone has, including me. But this destroys your communication. And if you go back to the past episodes where I talk about engagement, taking money out of your engagement bank account, consistency or lack of communication well, inconsistency and lack of communication takes money out. So when you're not consistent and you're, you don't have the right communication in place, which usually happens because of labeling too, things too quickly, it destroys your relationship before it's even started. Now, it doesn't destroy it like incorrect socialization does, but it does kind of get your puppy confused and they're like, I can't be asked to interact with you because you make zero sense. Um, and that's fine, but just stop jumping 10 steps you know stop running before you can walk it's like yeah it's like asking your baby who's just barely crawling to now run it's impossible so stop trying to you know layer the 10th brick before you've even laid two bricks all these analogies it's so important to just not rush so the most common things i see people rushing is one removing the long line very common you should not be removing the long line until you have 100% recall this can take up to a year sometimes 18 months if your puppy's older but rushing until you have full control especially as a new owner who isn't very confident in your communication in your handling rushing this step will destroy your relationship because your puppy will then run off and you'll try and call them and they're like "Mm, I don't actually understand what you mean I'm just gonna sniff this because it's feel it's better and you're like crap and then you go and get your puppy and they they run off okay cool so I don't actually have to listen to you because you can't catch me by being consistent for a year especially when you're not confident which no new puppy owner is your communication will strengthen and you won't make this mistake. Every single one of my clients has made this mistake before seeing me and some are still making this mistake. And a lot of like friends who aren't trainers are making this mistake. Oh my God, every single person, including myself, has made this mistake and it really annoys me, especially when you're aware that you're making this mistake because I'm telling you, stop removing the long line until you have control and you're removing the long line yeah you can't run before you can walk stop removing the long line tiggy has gone back to the long line so if tiggy's gone back to long line and her equal is literally 95 percent, the only reason why she's back on the long line is because of food of finding food then your puppy who's interacting with everything else and you've got zero control over it needs to be on a long line it's not hard it really isn't But the reality is, is if someone has a problem and feels threatened by your off-leash puppy, they can be put down. The nice word is they could be put to sleep. The reality is they can all be destroyed. So stop it because it's not just, oh, I want my dog to have fun. I want my dog to have freedom. It's not that case. Black and white, your dog can get destroyed and it's the easiest thing to do is just stick them on a long line and hold the other end and then you can control them but people don't have this thought process and 
I didn't. But then when I was told that I'm making this mistake and my dog could get killed because of it, whoo, you bet I, I was consistent then. The reality was I had zero control over my dog and I didn't want her to be put down and I didn't want to lose her. And by having a simple thing of just sticking her on a long line and working hard to be able to get her off leash, she's now pretty much off lead except food so then we're working towards it so in like let's say a month or not or if not maybe a little bit longer depending how consistent I am she'll be off lead soon again even more reliable because I'm working towards it so don't make this mistake number two is distractions so just because you your puppy can do something indoors does not mean they can do it around 100 dogs, 50 picnics, 200 people, 100 screaming kids, and loads more other distractions, and do it perfectly. It does not work that way. Now, all my clients are quite shocked. It can be as simple as, your puppy knows how to sit in the living room, they do not know how to sit in your bedroom. So if it's such a massive regression... How can you expect them to understand that behavior outside around loads of other distractions? Like I said, it really does not work that way. I wish it did, but it doesn't. They do not have rational thinking. They've got an associative brain, so they learn by association. That association is simply, she knows how to, I don't know, sit around me. When my mum walks in, she might not know how to sit because they can't generalise a sit. That's why training takes so long and that's why you can't rush this where most do. So by removing distractions and taking a little bit slower and keeping your dog on a long line, you'll actually get a lot further a lot quicker than if you rush down to 10 steps and then you have to go back down to one And not only do you go back to one, you go back to minus five because then you have to reset the process and then start back from scratch. We've got the beauty of having blank slates because we've got a puppy. So use it, utilize your blank slate and yes, make mistakes, but don't make mistakes when you're aware you're making them. Or if you're aware of making them, then be aware that you'll have to go back and you'll just make it hard for yourself. Again, with the rushing and whatnot, you're rushing labeling, you're throwing a label, as soon as your puppy is walking towards you, like, cool, they have a wrinkle. No. (laughs) Like I said, I learned through multiple trainers is only label something until you love it, until you love the behavior as a whole. And so many of my clients go, yeah, I love this. And I'm like, don't aim for 50% when you can have 100%, because you can. Every pet dog can be 100%, because... If you have a crazy drive dog, then yeah, okay. Um, and obviously, keep progress in mind and go, wow, she's gone from 20% recall to 50% and it's great for him. It's like, yeah, okay, it is great, but you're not finished yet. Don't finish until it's 100% reliable. And don't label something until you really, truly are happy with the behavior. You can't just slap a label on something and expect your puppy to understand and know what to do you need to spend months letting them understand the muscle memory of a certain behavior and understand that they need to do it 
when you do a certain movement, then label something correctly. So you introduce the label in a correct manner because most people make the mistake as well. And then you need to lure the lure away. So there's a lot of steps into it. And most people skip most of them. And that's fine because you don't know. And it's down to me to teach you how through my voice. I don't know how. (laughs) We'll get there. But seriously, don't rush labeling. Let them understand the behavior fully and you understand how to teach the behavior and why you're teaching it in a certain way and then put a label on it and then start proofing it and keep in mind that when you start proofing things there'll be regression so you might have to keep luring them and go back a few steps and just go back to luring until they're like oh okay I'm getting into the rhythm of luring again I'm going into the muscle memory of going into sit um and then add the label again, and then like, oh, okay, so I do this here as well. That's kind of like how they think. It's like, oh, okay. And then you have to go around the corner and do the exact same process again. It was so interesting. I had a client, and they did, I think we were proofing, they're walking around like five different streets. As soon as they turned, the dog started pulling in. And I said, can you see how quickly they can regress and it's not because they're stubborn and they don't know the behavior it's because they just don't understand it in a particular street like that's how quickly they went from perfect to dragging and they just turned the corner and within seconds the dog had regressed and I was like it's nothing to do with stubborn you just need to teach them that they need to do it here as well and they were like oh that makes a lot of sense and yeah, the dog then clued into it. Then we went around another street. And over time, the, we after a few back and forth and through the thing, the dog started getting into the rhythm that, oh, okay, we just need to stay in the heel position and whatnot. And then eventually, over time, when they do this in millions and millions of different streets, obviously millions is kind of impossible, but loads and loads of different streets, the dog will start realizing that they just can't pull <laughs> regardless. And then proving around loads of dogs and people and noises and whatnot. It's going to be a very long process. And that is why you can't rush training. But people do, and that is fine. But you need to understand that it's not possible to. I hope this has been helpful and that I've pointed out some mistakes that you're making and hopefully you will stop rushing and making these mistakes. Now, if you have any questions about the mistakes, then drop me a DM on Instagram. It's always open if you have a couple of questions about this episode. Just keep in mind that just tell me that it's about this episode so I know where you've gotten the questions from and the resources. If you want to learn from your mistakes or prevent them from happening, then I suggest that you join my Perfect Puppy Program waiting list. This is open for um, not long and eventually my Perfect Puppy Program will be live. So it will be worth it in the end. But this is going to be a jam-packed place for puppy owners taking you through step minus one to all the way to a really high stand polite puppy if that is your goal um, and just learning how to enjoy your puppy more and do loads of different activities with them there's going to be 10 over 10 modules loads of loads of videos i mean i've already got 100 videos listed i'm so excited for when it's live so get yourself on the waiting list it's going to be absolutely amazing if you've enjoyed this episode then let me know leave a review and I really hope to see you in the next one. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the Perfect Puppy Podcast with Miriam Pollard. For more tips and advice, follow Think Dog Academy on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.